0: So, first service last week, I had to deal with this cough that was just kind of like rising up as I tried to speak. This morning, I have to to speak after my wife and daughter lead worship. I don't. <laughs> she's not making it easy on me this morning, is she? We are. Um, in the middle of a, of a series, actually week three of a series called Active Faith, where we're looking at what does it look like for us to have a faith that, that, that isn't just about what, not just about what we believe. I mean, faith is, is, is that, and it's not just about um, perspective, but it's about actually putting into action uh, what, what God is doing in our lives. That, that was, as we've said over the last two weeks, that we say that what does it look like for us to apply faith To the act of living, right? This is not a series. If you're worried, you see active faith show up on the screen. It's like, oh no, this means that I've got to sign up for something, right? That I've got to do more things, right? That's a lot of times how these kinds of series feel, and that is not what this is, right? This is about us getting this perspective that says the eternal is here with us, right? We get to live in the kind of way that says in the midst of a world that is constantly shaken, that we have a firm foundation that we can stand on, that we can live life that, that's reflective of our eternal destination. So Hebrews 12, um, if we kind of think of our three circles that we've been working through, the, the idea of confidence or what we believe, the, the perspective, our worldview, the way that we see the world, what lens is it that we, that we look at the world through? And then actions, right? That those three kind of circles, as they, as they overlap with each other, as they become congruent with each other, right? That, our, that, our, that our, our belief and our perspective and our actions, that, that, it, that it's not just that they kind of like intersect just a little bit, but the goal is that they're, that they're congruent, right? That there's as much overlap as humanly possible, maybe as divinely possible, right? On this side of eternity, that there's congruence between what we believe, the way we see the world, and the way that we live. Hebrews 12, so we started in Hebrews 12 last week talking about running the race, fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? Hebrews 12 is written specifically with a theme of, of perspective woven all through it, right? So at the, at the beginning of, of Hebrews 12 where we spent time last week, we see that it's not just about looking at the race, right? It's not just about looking at whatever next obstacle is coming our way, but it's about fixing our eyes on Jesus, running toward Him, right? Perspective, what is it we're looking at? And then we're, we kind of like jumped over this part, but uh, the, the part two of, of Hebrews 12 is that we can see ourselves as a child of God, right? There's some very rich passages that, that talk about discipline and what does it look like for a loving father to make sure that we're getting it right, right? A new perspective on God's discipline. And then in this section where we're looking this morning, we, we have the opportunity. And I say opportunity because this is such a beautiful thing of if we can get our heads around this, right? If we can begin to think in these kinds of terms where we can begin to see the unshakable in the midst of a world that's shaking, right? That for some of us or for all of us, there's some area in our lives where we can say, man, that is, that is shaking, right? It might be finances. It, it might be some sort of relationship or, or, or our health or any number of things. If we start to listen or if we started saying them, we, we'd have so many different things that it's like this area, Right? Or there's something in my life that when we talk about the unshakable, it, it draws our mind to the, the idea that there are things that shake. Right? There are moments and pieces in our lives that, that shake. And through the author of the book of Hebrews, we have an opportunity this morning to get a new perspective. Right? We have an opportunity to, to begin to look at the world differently, to look at our circumstances differently. A few years ago, actually, I guess it's been close to eight years ago, Um, I was in an airport in Indianapolis and um, I was kind of like coming into the airport and um, I get to the the check-in counter and you can just sense this kind of like buzz at the check-in counter, right? Like getting my ticket and and one of the ticket guys comes over and he says, did you see, did you see who just checked in? And I'm like, probably not talking about me, right? Probably not like (laughs) Nate Lamb, right? (laughs) Um, but I'm like, this is interesting. I wonder what's going on. It's a Sunday evening, pretty empty airport. And, and these guys are just like talking about what, what, was just, what was just happening. And they're getting like really excited. And so I'm like, okay, there's somebody here that's of importance, right? There's somebody here that's, that's worth seeing. And so kind of like going through the airport, Indianapolis Airport is not a very big airport. And so I'm kind of just, you know, kind of heading on a swivel, watching, seeing who is it that, that somebody that, that I can begin to maybe say, hey, look, I saw that person. And so I get in line at security, and I'm standing there and kind of like looking around, and then I I see two people in front of me, this tall guy, and I'm like, okay, sunglasses on in security, which is a bold move, by the way. If you're trying not to look shifty, sunglasses in security is not the way to do that, right? If you're trying to like, just be cool, don't get picked, don't get selected for like additional screening, wearing sunglasses is a good way to like end up in a room, you know, with uh, getting checked out more deeply. Um, and I look up, and the unmistakable outline of Peyton Manning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> two people in front of me in security. I'm like, don't they just, like, let him on? I mean, it's Peyton Manning, right? It's like, come on, he's not going to do anything. But he's, like, two people in front of me in security, and so it's like, okay, God, this would be the day that, like, don't let me get selected for extra screening, because I'm going to go talk to Peyton Manning, right? This is my chance. And so... Fortunately, God answered prayers in that particular specific kind of way. And so he, so Peyton is walking, and he's walking quickly. He's got his people around him, and he kind of, like, takes off. And I'm like, I'm going to find him, right? This is just, like, it's not that big of an airport. I've got time. Um, this, is worth, this is worth doing, right? And so I'm kind of, like, walking the airport. There's really, like, two major wings. And so I walk one where I thought he went. And I'm like, has that become stalking? Is that, is that, is that what I was looking for him. I was, we say researching, right? I was researching. Um, and so I, I finally, I track him down and he's like in the, kind of in the corner next to a kiosk watching his, his gate where he's getting ready to get on an airplane. And he's like standing there waiting and they were boarding the plane and then he was gonna jump on at the very last minute, kind of like, I'm sure first class seating and all that kind of thing. And, um, but he's just kind of waiting and I'm like, he's just standing around, I'm gonna talk to him. And so I walk up and, um, you know, hey, you know, and he's got his sunglasses on, and he's kind of like huddled in the corner, and I'm like, you know, uh, good luck staying incognito in this town, Peyton. I mean, you can try and hide, but like, this is Indianapolis, and you're a quarterback, right? You're, you're super, super popular, and so I'm have a conversation, and he is exactly what I hoped he would be, right? Super warm, funny, all that. He was dealing with his neck issue at that point, and so you could tell he was in pain, but like, exactly what you would hope he would be from seeing him on commercials or seeing him on TV and just watching how he interacted. But I remember when I was walking up to talk to Peyton, it was like, this is a bit of a risk, right? What if he's not what I hoped he was, right? What if he turns out to be this huge jerk, right? That's like, doesn't want to talk or he's, you know, whatever, and he just like belittles me or like whatever. And I'm like, that changes how I watch him on TV, right? That, that might even change whether or not I want to still wear my Peyton Manning jersey, which I still want to wear my Peyton Manning jersey, which actually worked out beautifully because we moved to Colorado right after that and Peyton followed us to Denver. So it was like <laughs> really like an ideal kind of scenario. So I don't know if, maybe I planted a seed that day that he's like, I just got to hang with this guy, I don't know. Um, but it was like, um, there's a risk, right? In encountering someone, right? This happens in Soldatna. We have people that come and fish that are like, way famous, right? This happens where you, like, see them in stores or whatever, but there's a risk in in encountering someone like that, because it's like, this could change my perspective, right? This could change whether or not I still like them. This could change whether or not I cheer for them in the same kind of way, and so this passage, you talk about perspective. You talk about what it looks like to encounter and then to, to have a new perspective because you've encountered something, that's what the, 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 the third part of Hebrews chapter 12 is all about. It's, it's the Hebrew people having encountered God and having that shape their perspective, right? To have that actually shape their perspective. This passage uses these encounters with God to, to reveal the reader's perspective, to, to draw out their perspective. That it's describing what it looks like to encounter God right? And it lays kind of at each section of this passage, there's kind of like two specific things. It's like one side or the other It's kind of like binary. It's, it's this or it's this. Is it terrifying or is it life-giving, right? It's this passage that's that's, tr- that's structured in pairs that, that gives us a glimpse, right? So So through the author of Hebrews, God is offering us a new perspective, but but now what we see is we, we talk about this specific passage. What we see is, is God speaking through the author of Hebrews to, to in some ways kind of overwrite the family history, right? That if, if the, the people of God, as they followed after him, would say, this is what it's like to encounter God. Or the last time that we encountered God, the last time that we were close to God, this is what it was like. And then the author of Hebrews lovingly giving this new perspective, saying this is what it, what it could look like. Right? In light of who Jesus is, in light of what Jesus has done for you, this is a new opportunity to see things differently. This is God speaking through the author of Hebrews to overwrite the family story, right? to overwrite the, the last time we got close to God. The author of Hebrews would say, but then Jesus showed up and God was walking among us. So in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched uh, and that is burning with fire, to darkness and gloom and storm, to a trumpet blaster, such a a voice speaking words that, that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear, right? you have not come to that kind of mountain, right? You have not come to the, the mountain that you have spoken of, that, that your family history, the echoes of this significant story in, your, in, your, in the life of your people, that, that that is not what you've come to, that, that we're talking about it's, it's this or it's this, right? It's this mountain that, that when we speak of close encounters, that this initial close encounter with God, this, this theophany was, was terrifying right, this God moment, this God interaction was terrifying, blazing fire and and darkness and gloom, and it's like, what do we do with that? How does this feel hopeful? How does this feel redemptive? Then we hear this voice, or they heard this voice that that whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, right, Exodus 20, 19, that in some ways these, these people who had gathered, these people who experienced this moment would say, I would rather, can you imagine, having been that close to God, right? To, to have God's presence in, in front of you, this holy mountain, and you're here, and it's the, it's the, the significant kind of intense moment. And for them, who, those who experience this, they say, I would rather hear nothing, right? I would rather hear nothing than to hear that voice speaking those words. Can you imagine Right, that this encounter with God was so terrifying, it was, it was so shaking for them that, that it caused them to, to wrestle with the very deepest questions, saying, do I really even want to hear from God? If that's what hearing from God looks like, if that's what hearing from God feels like, if that's what being close to God feels like, do I even want it? You have not come, right? God speaks to the author of Hebrews to say, but I didn't leave you to live in fear, in verse 22, but you have come, right? You have not come to that mountain. You've come to this mountain. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, right? The the contrast of these two mountains, the contrast of, of these two experiences with God is saying, you need to understand Right, this is perspective. This is us understanding what we are and how we stand before God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, Right, the surrounded by, by beings and people who have, who have gone before us, whose names are written in heaven. And then you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of, 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 righteous, of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This description of this mountain, right? If there's two mountains, you've got one that's utterly terrifying, that that leaves the one who experiences it shaken, right? In, In awe, but shaken in the sense that it's like, how in the world could I ever measure up? How in the world could I ever even approach such a place? And then you have the mountain that the author of Hebrews is saying, this is what you've approached, right? This is what you've come close to, this, this, this thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, right? To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. To God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That putting in the story of Jesus talking about what makes these two experiences so radically different. You you place Jesus in the middle of the story. You say, this one who is the mediator of the new covenant, this one whose blood poured out changed everything for us. Talk of Abel, right? This this blood of Abel that spoke a word. If you look in Genesis chapter 4, you see as as God interacts with Cain, as Cain has killed his brother Abel, that that God literally says "The, the blood of Abel cries out from the ground. Right, it speaks guilt. That, that God is talking to Cain and saying, look, look, the, the blood of Abel cries out to me from the ground. And then, then he speaks this guilt. And then, and then God pronounces this curse on Cain that, that would impact the way he would even live relationally with, the, the, with his family. That Cain ends up being cursed to be a restless wanderer. Right? So this blood of Abel that speaks this word of guilt, that speaks this word of separation, that speaks this word of distance, the author of Hebrews says, but this blood of Jesus speaks a better word, right? It speaks a word of redemption. It says this is what it looks like to be invited close, to be able to approach, to be able to come near. This redemption and then the restoration of a relationship, not distance, not being sent away as a restless wanderer, right? A better word. Then it continues, verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse. We're talking about two warnings. Now see to it that, that you do not refuse him who speaks. If if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Right? This these these who have gone before us, that this they that didn't listen to someone speaking on God's behalf, right? The prophets speaking. Now we have heard directly through God, from or directly from God through Jesus. What will we do with that? So two, two mountains, two warnings, and now two kingdoms. Verse 26, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And then the author begins to, to unpack it, saying these words once more indicate the, the removing of what can be shaken, that is, those created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. There are two kingdoms, right, the things that can be shaken, these created temporary things, these, these kingdoms, maybe for some of us, it's the, the kingdoms that we've made for ourselves, right, this kind of like security that we've placed around ourselves, this, this way of living and approaching that says, I feel safe because of this world that I've built for myself, this kind of like bubble that I've built around myself to keep me from having to encounter things that would shake me. Even that will be shaken right, the created temporary things, the the kingdoms that we make for ourselves, and then there's the, the, the other kingdom, the kingdom that cannot be shaken, this eternal kingdom. Verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire right worship that pleases god this acceptable worship this this thankful response for what god has done it starts with recognizing recognizing this present tense reality of the kingdom right for receiving. Therefore, since we are receiving, right? Not therefore, since we will receive, or when we die and we cross over into eternity, that we will receive this thing. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, right? This, this present tense, not future tense reality. Recognize that this is a present tense reality of the kingdom, that, that as we worship, we recognize that, that the kingdom is here and now that we are part of it that recognizes the difference between the temporary and the unshakable, right? That we remember God's story, that this, this big story that, that God has been writing, that, that doesn't start and it doesn't end with us. It's bigger than us. This, this, this worship that recognizes the difference between the temporary and the unshakable, that, that reveals our kingdom's. Right? It reveals those kind of fortresses that we make for ourselves, the, the bubble that we make for ourselves, this, this, this world that we try to make for ourselves to, to keep ourselves from getting uncomfortable. When we encounter God, right, when things start to shake, when, when we begin to recognize that there is a temporary and there is an eternal, there is a shaken and there is an unshakable, then everything that we see, we talk perspective, and we start to look at things differently recognizes the difference between the temporary and the unshakable, and it recognizes the reality of God. I'm so grateful that when when this passage was recorded that it that it starts with this kind of like this awe of God, this mountain that is that is holy, this mountain that is completely other than than anything that, that, that people have experienced up to this point that that suggests the magnitude of the living God. And then it closes with our God is a consuming fire, right? The, the bookends of this say this unchangeable God, right? That, that it's not that God has changed, it's, it's that we have a new opportunity through the person of Jesus Christ who made a way for us, that, that it's the same God throughout the whole passage, that, that with this new perspective, with, with this new development of, of Jesus Christ's presence in the world that changes the way we approach God. God's the creator and he's the consuming fire, the God who burns away the temporary to reveal the eternal. This God who does this in the world around us, this God who shakes the world around us to reveal what what is true and good and eternal and lasting. He does it in the world and he does it in us. And the good news, the good news is that this consuming fire isn't to consume us, right? This consuming fire is to to consume the temporary, right? To refine us, to, to reveal the eternal in us, to, to continue to work in us, to refine us, to make us who he's created us to be. He doesn't consume us with fire, he refines us. And so we have been offered an opportunity for a new perspective, right? We've had an opportunity, we're invited as we, as we read this passage, as we spend time listening, saying, God, what is it you're teaching us? What is it that, that you want me to know so that I can go and I can live differently, we speak of what does it look like to, un- and to encounter the unshakable. Right, for some of us, our lives are so marked by the temporary. They're so marked by, by kind of like making it to the next step, to make it to the next step, and, and everything about our world just feels temporary and shaken, and we're just simply trying to hold on, right? The, the persevering and the race. And yet we're invited, right? Even better than meeting Peyton Manning in the airport, we are invited to encounter the unshakable right, to encounter the unshakable, but, but to do that with a perspective that says this should not be terrifying, this should be life-giving, right? This should give us a, a way of seeing things that, that helps us understand who we are and whose we are and what God has done for us. And so we talk of perspective, we talk about encountering the unshakable, but, but doing so in a way that says, I understand which mountain it is that I'm approaching, right, I understand who's surrounding me, I understand that, that, that it doesn't look like maybe what I was afraid it would look like, so how do we do this? First, we, we look for the unshakable kingdom in the midst of the temporary, right? We recognize, we recognize that the unshakable kingdom is a present tense reality, right? What makes us miss it isn't that it's not there, it's that we're not looking for it, right? It's a perspective issue, not a, not a presence issue that we say, God, it just feels like you're so far away, God, it just feels like... like the enemy is in charge of the world around us, right? It just feels like everything is broken. It feels like there's no hope. It feels like there's just everything is shaking. Everything is temporary. Everything seems to be falling apart. And we're offered a perspective that says there is the unshakable, right? There is the unshakable, the present tense reality of the kingdom present among us. We just need to be looking for it, right? It's not just the mountain it's the, it's an, or, or some moment in the future. It's here and now. And so we say we look for the unshakable kingdom in the midst of the temporary. How do we do that? It starts with looking around and saying, what isn't shaking? Right? If my world is shaking, if, if there are pieces of my world that feel like my very foundation is being shaken, that, that things just are crumbling and it's not working, what is working? Right? What is eternal? What is connected or what helps me see the eternal? It's one of the values of being part of this body of believers. Right, it's part of the value of being part of a church that, that has navigated hard things, right? the, that has gone through difficult things and yet comes out on the other side strong. Right? Birch Ridge Church has, has, has dealt with difficult things and, and yet is unshakable. Right? Continues to move forward, to, continues to help us give, to get perspective, that, that God works through his church to reveal the unshakable kingdom says God, in, in talking about the two mountains, talking about the church of the firstborn, that we are, as a church, a part of. That God works through those around us to give us perspective, that the, that the, the body of Christ helps us see the unshakable, right? Sometimes we need to get out of our head and get into community because we just can't process things well by ourselves. Actually, we're never intended to. And that's why we're doing small groups, right? That's why we're pushing this idea of we need to spend time together, right? We need to have some sort of intentional relationship where we get together with other believers and we can sit and we can say, well, this is what I'm seeing, right? This is what I think. This is, this is what seems like God is teaching me. This is, this is what I'm going through right now that, that makes it feel like everything is shaking. And then to sit in someone's living room or to sit here at the church in a, in a small group setting and to have other people speak into that. There's value in that 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 helps us see things more clearly. The value and and part of the vision for small groups is that it gives us perspective. It helps us see and hear the eternal God speaking to us, working actively in the world around us, inviting us to be a part of it. It's perspective in small groups, and we're going to talk a lot about it because it matters. It's it's also this encouragement in the discipleship journey for us to, to spend time intentionally saying, look, I'm going to listen to what God says and then I'm going to look for ways to put that into action where, where my faith is made active because I'm being encouraged, I'm being held accountable sometimes to, to live out what God is doing and what God is teaching me. That's what small groups are for. So if we look for the unshakable kingdom in the midst of the temporary, we've got to work for that, right? We're not going to just drift there. We're, we're going to have to work to get there. Second, we recognize that the shaking reveals the weakness of the temporary. Right? The shaking part of what makes it so terrifying part of what makes it so upsetting when our world starts to shake right when it feels like we're being refined in that kind of way where it feels like nothing is stable where where everything seems to be falling apart what makes that so terrifying is it's revealing how weak what we've been clinging to actually is right it's disorienting our perspective is shifting because what we thought was solid what we thought we had built in a way that was durable that that when we're shaken, when our world is shaken, it reveals the weakness of the temporary. So we have two choices when, when our world is shaking. One is, is to let go, right? Is to, to retreat because as God does a transforming work in us, as God calls us to himself, he will shake us, right? He will shake our world. He will reveal to us the temporary in our lives. And so as we begin, we begin to make spiritual progress, we're tempted to slow down. We're tempted to, to kind of let go of, of that process because it's I just don't know if I want to go there, right? We've had moments where where God is, is doing a refining work in us and we have to make a decision. Will we take him up on it or will we retreat? By the way, I've never met someone. I've never met someone who went through a period of shaking in a transformational kind of way that would trade the perspective that they have on the other side of that shaking for anything. Right? We go through moments where we're like, I just don't know the purpose. I just don't know why I'm going through this. I just don't see how I can. I don't see what God's doing. I don't understand the way this works. But I've never met somebody who's gone through something like that where it feels like their very foundations are shaken that would trade the perspective that they have on the other side of the shaking for anything that they experienced on, on the other side never seen someone who's encountered the eternal, who's had the temporary shaken out of their hands that would trade that for the temporary. So two choices, we let go or we seek the unshakable, right? We lean in, we say, God, what is it you're trying to do? What, what are you up to? What are you revealing to me about the kingdoms that I'm clinging to? What is it that you're trying to show me? All right, so we recognize that the shaking reveals the weakness of the temporary. And third, we recognize that this is a process, right? This is not just a step, but it's a series of steps. It's a a process with a purpose, and that purpose is perspective, right? That that God is showing us, that God is revealing to us the ways that we're clinging to the temporary, that that we've allowed temporary things to, to take the place of eternal things in our lives, that we're building our lives on something less than what God intended us to build our lives on. And so we go through this process that has a purpose, that has perspective, where we learn to see Jesus, right? We learn to see Jesus that we run the race with our eyes fixed on him, that we see ourselves, right? This perspective of not just just looking at Jesus, but we begin to see ourselves differently, right? As a child of God, that we see the unshakable, right? You talk about perspective. You say, what is it you're trying to show me? And God says, all along, I'm trying to show you that You've got to keep your eyes fixed on me. You've got to understand who you are in relationship with me, that you are a child of God. And that there are things that are shakable and there are things that are unshakable. And the things that are shakable are worth clinging to. The things that are, are unshakable are worth letting go of the temporary things to take hold of. And here at Birchridge, we are here to help with that. That's part of, of what we will do. A huge piece of what we will do is, is this idea of helping gain perspective, right? helping to understand that we're, we fix our eyes on Jesus, that we're looking to the right thing, that, that we're understanding ourselves properly, that we are a child of God, that you talk about the two mountains, this terrifying mountain, or this, this mountain that is utterly life-giving, perspective-giving. We see ourselves as approaching that kind of mountain, and then to see the unshakable. And sometimes that means hard conversations where we have people in a small group or we have people that have come around us that say, look, you are clinging to something that, that's just not worth clinging to. Those are hard conversations, but they're worth having because that's how God moves us forward. We're here to help. So I invite you this morning. We're gonna sing a song in, in response as we talk about perspective. We're gonna sing a song in response. Would you stand with us as, as we sing?